0: Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. sozo church i've said this at least three times before um but i thoroughly enjoy worshiping with you people honestly um i'm not talking bad about other churches so don't take it as this but i've led worship um in in more than two places and uh not everyone is as easy to lead in worship as you people so thank you because you make our job very easy to uh to do so thank you so much for that um Real fast, um, brief, personal kind of uh, moment here. Um, If you guys, if you know my wife, Ty, and I, you know, we have three kids, Adoniah, Malachi, and Valencia. Well, Adoniah's birthday is tomorrow. She's not allowed to do this, but she's doing it anyway. She's turning 14 tomorrow. I told her she couldn't do that. She told me I wasn't allowed to tell her that. So she's already entering into the rebellious phase of teenage years because she's refusing to not grow up. So uh, if you know her uh, and you could go embarrass her by telling her happy birthday, not right now, later, after I'm done talking, um, (laughs) that would be great. Uh, We're in the midst is a family of soccer season. I never thought I would be a soccer dad, but I totally am. I want to thank all of you who have been praying for me. Uh, Some of you know this, some of you don't. Uh, I was asked. Uh, my wife says they made everybody do it, but I don't think so. They they asked me to to sign a document saying that I would uh, behave with sportsmanlike conduct from the side of the field. I'm that dad. I never thought I would be that dad. I yell at the kids. I yell at the coaches. I yell at the. The officials, I'm just screaming from the side of the field, going the whole time, going like, Why am I doing this? My older brother, literally, I, my, my, my kids invited him, Hey, Uncle Matt, can you come to our games? It'll be really fun. He came to one. My kids invited him again. He said, Not if your dad is going to be there. So I've been really good. I'm thanking you. Uh, for those of you who've been praying for me, uh, I was, I've been really, really good. I haven't yelled or screamed or hollered or thrown a chair or anything. This whole season, it's been great, and uh, kids have been having fun, despite the fact that my daughter, Valencia, who is a first grader, is in a league where they don't keep score. (laughs) Kind of feel like those sorts of leagues are like brand new pencils. They have no point. (laughs) And uh, yet, I'm paying money for her to do it. So, uh, the fact that I've kept my cool at those games is even more (laughs) amazing. But uh, I die... We're going to go ahead and jump into the point this morning, into the message. We launched a new series uh, last week, and we're going to just pick up on that. I'm very, very excited. You know, uh, just as a side note for those of you who were around this summer, this summer we did something that is very uh, uncomfortable for me. What we did was we did a, a sort of a topical series where we talked about a different topic every Sunday. And just to transparency here for a moment, as a preacher, I'm used to just opening up the Bible. And just following it where it leads us. And I'm very excited about the fact that we're back in a series where we can just do that. So uh, I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Uh, before we jump into our main text, which is uh, Isaiah chapter 64. It is the chapter that we are walking through together as a church over the next few weeks. Um, before we get there, I have some opening verses that I'd just like to read kind of to get into our hearing, to get into our minds so that we're aware of them. So we're going to go ahead and throw those up on the screen. The first is from Exodus. It's Exodus thirty-three, fourteen. 14. This is God speaking. He says, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Next, from the Psalms. We have Psalm one hundred. Verse 4, it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. And then we jump ahead to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, 18, 20. It says, for where two, this is Jesus speaking, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And last, but certainly not least, we have James chapter 4, verse 8 encourages us, instructs us to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, heart, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now let's jump straight away to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, verse 1, it's on page 694 in my Bible, if that helps anybody else. It probably won't you have one of those flat screens that lets you pick your version. We read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Here might be a little easier to flip to that if you can. Isaiah 64 says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. Everybody say presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait For him, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry. We sinned. And in our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquity, like the wind... Takes us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquity. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy city has become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has become, has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you Restrain yourself at these things, O Lord. Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit. Jesus. Jesus, we are in desperate need. God, of the same thing that Isaiah is crying out for. God, we are in desperate need of you ripping apart those things that separate us from you. We are in desperate need, God, of you to come and to make a way. God, there seems to be no way. In our sin, we have been a long time. In our self-centered, self-righteous, self-motivated earthly, humanistic, self-limiting perspective, we have stayed a long time. But God, we believe that you are a God who responds, and so we come and we kneel before you, and we cry out to you, and we plead with you. God, we beg with you to come. God, we take you up on your open invitation to draw near to you so that you might draw near. To us, God, come and meet your people in this place. Let us hear what it is that you would say to us. Let us receive it. Let us process it. Let us bury it deep within our hearts and let us be transformed by it. Let us be different when we leave this place than when we came in. God, have your way. Be glorified and exalted in Jesus' name everybody said. Amen. We have titled this series uh, The Elephant in the Room. The Elephant in the Room is is that thing, that that destructive force, that awkward in the way sort of thing that is in the room and come on, everybody knows is in the room but nobody wants to talk about it. It's the elephant in the room. So, We've just decided, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about those things that seem to stand in the way of our world, of our church, of our lives. Let's just go ahead and talk about it. Isaiah here is crying out to God. It's, it is the it is the heartfelt, genuine outcry of someone who is aware of the reality of the elephants. Come on, in the room, and he's crying out to God. So what we're going to do is for the next several weeks, just look through these things and, and look at the issues and the, the problems and the elephants that are in the room that Isaiah is dealing with here, we're just going to talk about it. Now we are aware as we've kind of, as a, as a team, as a leadership, as a staff, kind of mapped out and looked together at where, these, uh, where this passage takes us when it comes to some of these elephants. We're aware that some of these things are probably, possibly, maybe going to, push on areas of your life that may be a little uncomfortable. They're going to probably, hopefully, maybe bring up some questions in your life about some things. And so we want to be on that journey together. So we're doing a handful of things to try to make this more than just a Sunday morning. How many of you know that our relationship, our walk with God needs to move past just a a once-a-week meeting on Sunday mornings for an hour and maybe 20 or 30 or 40, if I talk too long, minutes? got to move past that, so we want to try to help you do that, so we're doing a handful of things in that. Uh, one of the things is uh, kind of simple, we are, we've are we created some very brief um, uh, kind of blog posts for you to read uh, each week, they're short, they can be read in just a few minutes, they're not long and lengthy and uh, doesn't take a whole lot of time, just kind of maybe in your morning routine, that ability to just kind of read them, talking about... Uh, people in our church sharing stories about times when God addressed elephants in their life and how those things worked out and how God did that. So those things are being brought up. They'll be posted to our our Facebook page if you are on that sort of thing. If you're not, you can still find it through there, facebook.com slash sozochurch, easily be found there. Another thing we're doing is this morning, we're launching our community groups. We're launching the time when you are able to connect with other believers in this house During that time, we will be um, discussing and walking through and processing some of the topics and issues that come up here. There will be time for you to ask questions and struggle through questions and work through those things together. We believe, come on church, that the Christian life is not a solo sport. You don't do it alone. You do it in the context of other people. Amen. You do it with others, together with others, the Bible, the Gospels, the scriptures, and God himself does not know a Christian outside of the context of community, period. So we are encouraging everyone in the church to get plugged into one of these. They're, they're regional based, so there's one in your area for you to meet other people who live in your area and connect with them. Uh, if, you're, if the night that your regional based small group uh, meets doesn't work for you, uh, by all means be a rebel and find one that does. And last but not least, the, the last Sunday of this series is actually going to be our chance to try to answer, or maybe a better word would be respond to, uh, some of those questions you may still have. So if you look right in the back of the room, you'll see a box with some 3x5 cards on it and a green question mark. Anybody want to guess what that's for? It's for questions. So if you have questions about things that have been raised in this series and you want to ask them anonymously, grab a 3x5 card, fill it out, drop it in the box. Uh, And just let us know, and we're going to try to cover and respond to as many of those as possible. You can also email the office or uh, text somebody, message somebody on staff, and we'll try to include those as well. But that's kind of the series. Now, last week, we talked about the, the fundamental reality is that in order for us to see these elephants, God has to open our eyes. Is there any married men in the room? Is there any married man whose wife has ever asked him to go find something? Does anybody else have the same experience I do? My, my favorite is when I, I like to cook. Confession, I, I love to cook. Um, and, and I will be cooking and I'll be looking for something necessary for cooking. Usually it's a spice or an oil that we have in the house. And I'll be looking in the cupboard and I will be ripping the cupboard apart to find needed spice or oil or ingredient. And I will holler at my wife in love and service and submission Where is the garlic? (laughs) Honey, it's in the fridge. I'm in the fridge. It's not in the fridge. And she has, I think she's an X-Men. She walks into the kitchen and she reaches into the cupboard and as she, or the the refrigerator, as she reaches in, the, the, the garlic materializes in front of her hand. She lovingly smiles and hands me the garlic. I think this sometimes is what we as believers need, amen, where we can't figure out the problem, we don't know what's going on, we're blinded, the scriptures tell us. We need God to open our eyes, and so we discussed that last week, and my hope is that as we continue through this, that God will continue to open our eyes. Now, I I don't have a lot of time this morning, so I want to talk quick, so please listen quick. We're going to focus primarily on Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 64, 1 through 3, where Isaiah here pleads and begs with God to meet with those of us who live down here on earth. He cries out to him and he pleads with him. and, And we're going to be talking this morning about some topics that I just want to address an elephant in the room that's not the elephant in the room that we're going to be addressing this morning. And that is the elephant of the fact that inside the church, that there are, there are denominations, amen, there's different kinds of churches, Lutherans and Presbyterians and, and Baptists and all kinds of ists that all gather together and meet. But beyond even that, there's different kind of clubs and factions and cliques in the church right? There, there's, there's different kind of groups that tend to be into certain things, and we're going to be talking about a topic that, if I'm going to be honest with you, has defined a whole kind of group of people, and here's my worry. They use a type of language, and they use a type of, of dialect, and they have a culture built around them that, for those of you who are in that group, you like it, and you understand it, and you jive with it. And those of you who aren't in the group, the second that kind of dialect and verbiage starts coming out, you instantly back up and don't want anything to do with it. Talking about the way that God will come and reveal himself personally and powerfully. Something that you might maybe have heard these movements like to talk about, the presence of God. They talk about being, being found in his, they use terms like the glory of the Lord showed up. And for those of us who maybe weren't raised in these movements, we go, huh? And here's, here's my heart, and this is why I bring it up, and this is why I invest this time right now. My hope is that for those of you who are in the movement, and you're a part of kind of that group, you, you like the, the presence of God things, the Holy Spirit things, the maybe if we use some old school terms, the Pentecostal charismatic things. You're getting all excited right now. You're all giddy. You're starting to shake. Some of you are about to go, ho, and it's going to be great. And here's the deal. I love you, and I hope this morning to offend you with some things. Because there's some error in that group. And here's the deal. There's some of you who right now, because I just said that, are like, yeah, go get them, because they're wrong. And my hope this morning is to offend you. Because there's some error in abandoning the truths that are there. So here's my request to you, as much as this is possible, knowing fully well that it is in its totality impossible, forget the stance that you currently hold in these areas, and let's just look at the Bible. So, in the beginning, (laughs) come on if we're going to restart, right? Rewind the tape. Let's rewind it. All All the people under like 25 in the room are like, the tape? Like the stuff that, what? doesn't work with CDs or iPods or whatever you listen to, though. So, sorry. Rewind the tape. In the beginning, a good and gracious and loving and holy and just and beautiful and magnificent and awesome and, and resplendent God created this world that we live in. And he created all things good and perfect. And within this good and perfect creation, he put mankind, bearing the Bible says, his image. And he put us here to enjoy all things richly, to enjoy him richly, and to glorify and exalt him by enjoying all things richly. And he placed us in this perfect world. And and he, he gave us the unique capacity that the scriptures say we bear the image of God. What that means is we have the capacity, unique, I believe, in all of creation, to have a genuine, real encounter and relationship with this God who made all things. And He placed us in the midst of this creation and encouraged us to enjoy it. And if we're honest, we look around and go, then what happened? The reality is that the place that we find ourselves in now is not an accurate representation of that original creation that God made. Because the Bible says that man was given stewardship over that which God created, but man chose, the Bible tells us, to rebel against God and to blaspheme who he is. We decided in ourselves, our first parents, our greatest grandparents, decided that they could choose what was right and wrong better than God and his love and his goodness could show them what was right and wrong. And listen, our first parents did it and all of our parents have done it and you and I continue to do it constantly. The Bible simply calls this sin. It's the belief that I can choose for myself what is right and wrong better than what God can show me. And so in this, we are. And in this, we stay in rebellion against God. And because God is holy, he cannot be around what is common. His holiness fundamentally means that he cannot be polluted by what pollutes us. And so we are kept distant from him. Now, the typical evangelical analogy of this is there's a chasm. Anybody ever heard this before? There's a chasm between you and God. There's an impassable canyon and you are on one side and God is on the other. And while that is an analogy that works, can I give you a better one? Mankind is not separated by a chasm. Mankind is building a wall. We build a wall to keep God out. We say, we want to be over here and do our thing, and we will continue in our rebellion and stack bricks and mortar to keep him out. We find ourselves in this place, separated and, and distant, and building and building and building, continually higher and thicker, a wall to tell God we want nothing to do with him problem is we were created with the capacity to encounter him and this is still evident in our very makeup even even the even the humanistic secular self-centered psychologist maslow recognized this in his study of the human uh, desires and longings and drive he put at the end of his life, anybody ever see the, the pyramid of human desires or human needs? They talk about like, we need shelter, we need food, we need relationship, we need self-actualization? <laughs> that at one point in his, in his life, he believed that to be the pinnacle of the human experience, was to kind of become self-actualized. But what he realized after studying toward the end of his life was that that was not the, the, the tippy-top of the pyramid. The tippy-top of the pyramid is something he called transcendence. Everybody say transcendence. I'm not talking about the bad movie made by Johnny Depp. I'm, I'm, two of you heard of that movie. Okay. Um, what he was talking about is this, this innate desire that seems to reside within mankind, that desires to connect with something, I'll put it this way, beyond the natural. Something beyond themselves, bigger than themselves, and grander. And, and I liken this desire to a paraplegic who has a, the desire to move but does not have the ability. See, we might have that desire, but the problem is not the desire. The problem is there's no way for us to fulfill that desire. We don't have the capacity to encounter God because of this thing the Bible calls sin. And so because we have this desire, we are left in desperate need for divine intervention. We have built a wall. We do not have the capacity to scale or to penetrate. And it's a wall, please hear me, of your building and my building. We have separated ourselves from the God who loved us and the God who created us and the God who designed us to enjoy him and to be in fellowship with him. We decided we would rather do things our own way. And so Isaiah here is crying out and saying, God, break through what seems to be blocking you from here. Now, we're not, we're not Old Testament Jewish people, so this verbiage might not make sense, but God had warned that if his people fell back into rebellion. He says, I will shut up the skies. Isaiah here is hearkening back to that language and saying, God, the skies, they're shut up. Come on, has anybody else ever been in a place with your relationship with God where you are praying and your prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling and just come right back at you? And here we find Isaiah pleading and begging with and crying out to God, saying, God, please break the through all of this stuff that seems to separate us. And the heavens, tear us under the skies, break through the clouds and come down. And I would encourage us and plead with us and call us to that sort of prayer. But my worry is that we might desire that sort of prayer, and we may even pray that sort of prayer in utter ignorance of what we're praying. You see, that sort of prayer is going to be answered by God. And we need to be prepared for the answer that comes So now I'm going to ask you with me, if you can, shift gears real fast and move into the teaching portion of our message. Where I stop yelling at you. Oh, he knows he's yelling. I was told once that good teachers ask questions, so I'm going to ask you a question. God's presence is everywhere, yes? Or no? Some of you are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, right? I mean, yes. His pres- the Bible makes that abundantly, perfectly clear. Jeremiah twenty-three, twenty-four. He's everywhere. You can't hide from him. Uh, David picks this up in Psalms. I don't remember where, saying that if I if I send to heaven, you're there. If I go hide in hell, you're there. Everywhere you are, I can't hide from you. So yes from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible teaches, yes, God's presence is everywhere. Big theological word, $6 word for all of you to memorize. He is omnipresent, present everywhere. But do we believe that God resides in this room on Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the morning the same way that he resides as we glorify, exalt, and worship him here on Sunday mornings? No. For those of you who haven't had the Extreme, creepy pleasure of being in a church when no one's here. It's weird. I'll be real, it's creepy. Especially, we, we've met, as Sosa, as, as we've met in, in some really creepy buildings that were really creepy to be in when no one was there. Some of you were in those buildings with us. <laughs> there is a difference. So yes, God's presence is everywhere, but that's not the whole story, is it? He's everywhere all the time. But there's this type of presence that is different than just his everywhere presence. The Bible makes that clear. That's not, that, is not, that is not some charismatic zoo doctrine we cooked up. It's in the Bible. I mean, James makes it clear if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Well, there's a difference in the way that Moses experienced God's presence generally in his everywhere presence, and when he ascended the hill, come on, and engaged God personally to the point at which the Bible says his face started to shine. I don't know what that means. There's a difference in the way that we all kind of everyone experience the presence of God because he's everywhere in the way that Elijah experienced God as he stood on a mountainside as God revealed himself to him. There's a difference. Come on. In in the the presence that that the the soon-to-be Apostle Paul but currently rebel Saul, he was in the omnipresence of God as he rode his donkey to Damascus. But how many of you think that there was a different presence when Jesus shows up and knocks him off his donkey onto his bottom and reveals himself? There is a difference between God's everywhere presence, come on, and his, what we call, don't be weirded out and don't get too excited about, manifest presence. There's a difference. And if we don't believe that, we don't believe the Bible. I don't care if you're in the the, the movement that kind of has embraced this truth or if you're not. The reality is, come on, we believe around here the Bible, and the Bible teaches it. We don't believe it because we're a part of a movement. We believe it because it's in the Bible. Are you with me this morning? So there's a difference between his everywhere presence and his manifested presence. I like what James McDonald says. He says that God's presence, his everywhere presence is omnipresence is resplendent with prerogative and his manifest presence is filled with purpose. Meaning that God at any time through his everywhere presence can choose to reveal himself at any time but when he does it's not just to show off, it's with purpose. So we see Isaiah cries out to God to show up and the picture that he uses to demonstrate God showing up and showing off is this idea of fire. Is there any other pyros in the room with me this morning? I love fire. I'm just going to confess right now. It's fun. I get paid to do this. Fire. It's pathetic right now, but you wouldn't find this so pathetic if I dropped it in your lap. Fire. This is, the, this is the picture that Isaiah says that it's like when God shows up. He says that our God is a fire. Hebrews 12 tells us the same thing, that God is a fire, that he shows up, this, this word fire in Hebrew, it's a primitive Hebrew word. It's, 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 it's a visceral type word in Hebrew. It, it's first seen, I find this interesting, it's first seen in the Bible, this specific word, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. He, he makes a covenant with him. He says that I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, your descendants are going to be my people. And he begins to make this covenant, and there's a whole ritual that, uh, that that Abraham goes through of splitting some bulls in half, some animals in half, and they're now supposed to walk through the midst of this to signify the sealing of this covenant. And God, the Bible says, puts Abraham to sleep and manifests himself as fire and walks through the midst himself proving that, guess what, covenants you make with God, you are incapable of keeping. But God, in his goodness and in his graciousness, keeps them for you. It's called grace, and it's wrong, and it's scandalous, but in him it is good, and it fulfills his purpose. Don't ask me how those things coexist. I just rejoice that they do. fire i love i love the way that isaiah here points it out to us he says he says fire catch this please i'm going to make a completely unprofound statement fire isaiah says burns wood and boils water same fire when it comes in contact with wood wood burns when that same fire comes in contact with water Water, the Bible says, according to this and according to this little thing called science that, yes, even though we're Christians, we do believe in, boils. Same fire, different response. Now, the one thing I will point out here is that what is, what is made clear is there is no, no response. Fire shows up. Response is Natural. Nobody has to go, oh, I'm supposed to respond now. There's a few of us in the room that that maybe understand this when you've experienced the burning of something precious to you. It doesn't require you to maybe consider your response. It's automatic. If you've ever been burned before, your response was automatic. Fire burns wood. Boils water. If you'll let me, I'd like to try to unpack that a little bit in understanding the purpose for which God manifests His presence. And I'm going to do this as fast as I possibly can. Wood, when it encounters fire, resists it, it stands against it, it refuses to bend or to be moved or to be changed. So, because of that, wood is consumed. By fire Wood, in, in reality, is utterly destroyed by fire. When you encounter the presence of God and you resist him and you push back on him and you deny him, you are, I love you, but you are burned. You are consumed by it. Because you are attempting to, to push back against it. Whereas water, when it encounters the heat and the power and the energy of fire, that water receives that power and allows that power and that heat and that energy to purify it. See, when God shows up and his presence is here, it is not to put goosebumps on your neck. It's not to make less good worship seem more tolerable because God's presence is here. No, no, we've never said anything like that. No, that's, that's not the point. It fundamentally requires, demands, and will produce a response. Is your heart wood? or water when god's presence shows up do you stiff neck yourself against it do you resist it do you do you harden yourself to it do you do you deny it and and therefore are you consumed by it or does that heat and that energy and that power begin to purify your life are you willing to be i love you are you willing to be transformed by that presence come on not by behavior modification Not by trying harder. Not by some uh, internal commitment to an external set of rules that you promise God you'll try harder this time. Rather... Saying, God, only you and only in your power, come on, and only by your grace and only by your goodness can I ever be different than I am right now. Look, I've spent 35 years personally getting just as screwed up as I am right now. And I have no hope in and of myself any more today than I did 5 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago of seeing any transformation by my increased attempts at being better. But when I, when I surrender and I say, God, I, I can't not in an attempt to continue as the way that I've always been, but in an attempt to say, God, I desire your power to purify me. As you boil water, the imperfections, the impurities, they go. And you say, God, I'll sit on this heat as uncomfortable as, as it is and as much as it hurts and as hard as it is. Listen to me, trusting more is harder than trying harder. When that thing, your favorite Sin, your favorite place in the wall to stack bricks comes up and you have to go, I trust that his goodness is better than this. His goodness is better than my sin. It's hard to put the brick down and to walk back to the fire. You see this in, I believe it's Psalm 139. I think I put it on the slide, 139 something. Yeah, I remember what I did this morning. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. I think David had this in mind. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous ways in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. The word, when it says that brush fire, the fire boils water, literally the the, the the root of that Hebrew word literally means to search out. David's saying, God, as a consuming fire, search my heart. Oh, church, that we would know the depths of our own deception in our own heart. I want to make sure this is clear, though, so I'm going to have us go real fast, First Corinthians, and then we'll land this plane. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, I want us to see what this looks like because as long as it's left out kind of in, in uh, unclear, disconnected lands, I think it's easy for us to ignore it. So what do we mean when we say that encountering God will fundamentally cause a response? You'll either burn or boil. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 it says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Are you seeing boiling or burning? Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is what it looks like to burn and to boil. Your perceived indifference to the presence of God is evidence, I love you, of your burning. Of, uh, of the power and the presence and the heat and the magnitude and the reality of God. Consuming your heart to where you can walk into a place where his presence is and you are completely unaware because your life has burned. It's foolish, it, it's, it's ridiculous. You're telling me that somehow I can, can, can receive the power and grace of God by trying less? That doesn't make sense. The religious heart would say, no, 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 I have to do this. I can earn this. I can do enough. I can bring down this wall myself. And little do you know, you're simply making the wall higher and thicker and more impenetrable. And the rebel would say, you tell me it's more, more, more enjoyable, there's more joy and more pleasure on the heat than stacking these bricks? You are a fool. And your heart burns. Your heart, the Bible even uses this wording and this picture when it said it sears your heart. Searing kills nerves. It it, 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 it denies you the ability to, to feel are you burning or are you boiling? This is what it looks like. It doesn't doesn't look always like screaming and yelling and hollering at God. Sometimes it just looks like indifference. But it's still burning. And it leaves us in a place of wondering. The gospel is ridiculous. It's scandalous. It makes no sense. And yet... It is the wisdom of God. And according to this, it is the only way for you to be saved. There is no other saving. There is no other name under which, under heaven by which men can be saved. There is no other hope. So my question is when God reveals himself to you Indifference is not an option. So what will your response be? Will you be wood or will you be water? And here's the real creepy part for me. We're going to land this plane. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is John speaking of Jesus. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone omnipresence of God was coming into the world, manifest presence of God in the very form in the very in the very reality of Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Let that bake your noodle for a minute made it, and he's in it creepy yet the world did not know him. he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Please hear these last few words. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I don't get to try to convince you to be wood or water. The reality is your response will prove whether you are wood or water. I was asked once by a youth pastor who had been listening to our podcast and he said, how do you preach the gospel so boldly and with such volume and with such anger? He said, do do, do lots of people always respond? I said, sometimes, sometimes not. So does it ever bother you when they don 't? And I said, no because I know that response is completely in the hand of God. Whether you respond this morning or you don't is simply evident of whether your heart is water or wood. I'm begging you in, in, in all my capacity and with all of my ability for you to be water to not resist but Receive that power and that heat and that purifying. But if you choose to harden your heart and to resist the presence of God, there is nothing I can do about it. But watch you burn. So this morning, I'm gonna encourage us to stand to our feet. Invite the worship team back up. And we're going to give room for response. See, we don't leave this portion of the service here because we like to end with singing. Hello, come on. We don't end with singing because it's our way of trying to manipulate your emotions. We end this way because we believe fundamentally when God shows up, when the gospel, come on, is preached, Jesus reveals himself and it demands a response. Fire burns wood and boils water. It doesn't say fire, burns wood, boils water, and ignores everything else. Those are the options. So this morning, we're going to enter back into worship. We're going to exalt him and worship him. And we believe, according to the scriptures, that as we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. So regardless of whether you feel it emotionally or not, God's presence is in this place. And my question to you is, what will your response be? Will you harden yourself and be consumed or will you be softened and be purified? I don't care whether you've responded to the Lord a thousand times in the past or you never have. The response is the same, repentance. Turning from your selfishness, turning from your wall building and crying out to God to break through that wall. Turning our eyes from ourselves and turning our eyes unto him. Seeing him not as foolish and not as weak, but as wisdom and as strength. I want to encourage us this morning. If you are here and you have gotten to a place where your heart has become more wood than water. We have, we have ministry, a ministry team, people who, who, who feel a calling and who, who feel a, a specific gifting from the Lord to pray with people. A heart to see God show up and minister to people. And that might be weird to you and that's completely okay if it is, but we still want to invite you to come and to receive ministry. If your heart has become hard, if your heart has become more wood than water, Listen to me. Listen to me. Yes. Yes. Y- you, can, you, can, you can have an encounter with God in your seat, by yourself, all alone. Jesus said something. He said "Where two or more gathered together. Come on. He's there in a different way than when you're by yourself. And if you think you can't be by yourself in a room full of people, you're wrong primary conduit for God's intervention into your life is through the grace and gifting of another believer. It's his gift to you. And to not not avail yourself of that gift, I love you, is stupidity. And it's pride. And the fact that right now some of you are feeling that stirring in your own heart, you're feeling that boiling and yet you are resisting the leading of the Lord to draw you to himself through another is only the more evident, I love you, that you should leave your seat and come forward as we begin to enter into worship. I don't know what has caused your heart to become hard. I don't know if it's difficulty in life or it's busyness in life or it's a sin that you refuse to repent of. I don't know. And I love you. I don't care. Because the answer is fire. Fire. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to open up these altars. We respond through worship. We respond through ministry. And we respond through the taking of communion. The remembering that all of this intervention is only possible because his body was broken and his blood was shed. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask you to come and to be fire in this place. God, we ask you to come and to purify hearts in this place. God, we ask you to grant repentance to hearts in this place. God, I specifically am asking for repentance for those who are called by your name and whose hearts have begun to slide back into hardness. God, who who are who are more consumed with the busyness and the cares of life than they are with simply waiting for you. God, we repent of our Busyness. We repent of our distractions. We repent of our belief that we can do it better on our own. Rend the heavens. Break through the wall. We lay it all down. We, we, we abandon our building efforts at building a wall to keep you out. And we cry out to you to break through the wall to be God.